Hello, everybody, and welcome back to this episode of Build Amazing Things Securely. My name is Laura Belmain, and I'm going to be your host today. And today we are we're going to, oh, it's exciting. I met a new friend. You know me, uh, folks. I, I tend to travel around a bit and I meet cool people all around the world. And I happen to be in San Francisco, as you do. And there was a wonderful, I'll be honest, there was a wonderful stand at QCon San Francisco. And I was drawn in by the many pairs of socks they had on their stand because I'm a magpie for socks at conferences. Um, but what it turns out was behind all of the socks was a really cool company and a really cool technology and a really nice person. And that person is joining me today. Now, I'm going to get the name wrong, but I am intentionally going to do this publicly because I want to make it okay for us to ask each other if we get things wrong with things like names. So I think I'm welcoming Dejan here today, but Dejan, how do we pronounce your name? Let's get it right from the very beginning. It's actually Dejan, like yogurt, but yeah. I'm a bit old-fashioned and I'm not, I'm not offended by any kind of pronunciation, so I'm completely okay. That's amazing. It. We all learned something already in the first two minutes of the podcast. So well done, team. Dan today is joining us from RavenDB. Now, um, uh, welcome. Thank you for coming on the show. Thank you for having me. Now, um, as I do, team, we try and get people to introduce themselves. So who are you, the human? Okay, uh, since I'm a big proponent of Kaizen, and that would be iterative, gradual small doses changes so I, uh, my identity changes over time so if <laughs> i could describe myself that would be part of my education i'm primarily a mathematician i worked as a software engineer and then at one point in time i learned there are just two parts for career development individual contributor and the manager and i managed to find something in between which is developer relationships or devrel as people call it nowadays it was like evangelists if you remember and mm -hmm. buckets now it's devrel so currently i'm a devrel a bit of a mathematician uh, engineer yeah i'm one of those guys who goes into supermarket and waits in into line to pay for my things and then i started starting calculating flow uh, to to compute which cashier had the largest flow that, that's why I, I love it. I love it. Nerd to the nth degree and also useful because who better to go shopping with than the person who can tell you which checkout is actually going to get you through the quickest. Thank you for sharing your adventure with us. Uh, where are you joining us from today? I'm physically sitting in Serbia. Uh, for Amazing. people less familiar with third world countries, this is south of Hungary and east from in Italy. Amazing. And another reminder that there is incredible technology going on all around the world. And I love that we're getting voices from not just from California. Um, fantastic. We're DevRel, we're RavenDB. Let's dig into that a little bit more because the point of this podcast is we dig into amazing technologies that are being built and why they're being built and how that works. So tell me a little bit about RavenDB. What is it? What, what is it that you are an evangelist for, if you will? Mm -hmm. DB is one more database, and why would anyone would why would anyone want to have one more database? I was going to ask. Yeah, this was kind of born out of frustration. A founder of this company, and this is a very interesting story. He was open source contributor for an Hibernate project. You learn a lot, and unsolicited advice to young people working on open source project would be one of the best ways to promote your career and to advance. And you're doing something good on top of it. 
you had heard your first uh, career plan. <laughs> so uh, obviously he uh, gained lots of knowledge and then he started working as a consultant. And it turned out that most companies back then, and that was something like 2008 or 2009, uh, were using, of course, uh, relational databases. And he concluded that by the lunchtime, so you enter company uh, when you do consulting around 9 a.m. And by the lunchtime, you can discover a couple of, at least a couple of anti-patterns. And this <laughs> thing is repeating over and over again. So every good developer uh, will start thinking, okay, how this can be optimized. Mm. And this, and this obsession with optimizing things and to solving or actually preventing problems is what led to uh, inception of this database around 2010. And since Amazing. then, RavenDB is a pragmatic solution for people who would like to actually have a really boring database. And I know our marketing will not love this, but <laughs> why am I saying boring? So it's like actually boring technology is especially exciting. Why? Because you do not want to nurture Data, your database, you don't want to run circles around your database, you don't want to work with the database. You want to do what your job is, and that would be solving problems for people, changing software, and the database or any kind of data persistence should be a reliable partner, it should be part of your infrastructure, and you should actually forget about it. Sometimes I say to people, okay, I like comparing database to Windows. Not Microsoft Windows, but the actual Windows, physical ones. So when was, can you tell me, what, when was the last time you spotted anything uh, uh, regarding your Windows on the home? It well, mu I, they, I, must I... Have been, they must have been dirty or broken, malfunctioning. But if they are working as they should be, so clean and uh, properly functioning, you will not notice them. Same goes with the database. The best database is one that you do not notice. It's like electricity or internet. It just works. The server sits there, and that would be some kind of ideal of a boring and reliable technology. So I love this so much because I'm a security person, and a lot of security focuses in the products and things that people are building in these big flashy things. Look at me, I'm doing security. But I'm a big fan of boring the boring things that just get done and you don't have to think about them because we're all too busy already. And I love that's been embraced at the data persistence layer too. So what makes it boring then? So what is the, if we were going to talk about the cool tech here, because I don't think many of us have actually built a database system before other than we've used them and we've used them to store our data, but we've never actually gone, hey, how would I build one of these from the ground up? If you have team at home, kudos, that's a lot more energy than I have on the average week. Um, so what goes into building a good, stable, boring database? Okay, speaking about security in the databases, I would go to, I would like to go and remind you that most people who are doing testing and quality are labeling them sem, themselves QA, quality assurance. But when you look at it, it's more like quality control because you mm. have this chain of building software and then people are sitting at the end of the chain and they are discovering bugs. Yeah. So actually, it's not QA, it's QC, quality control. QA is embedding quality as integral part of every step in building software. And then same mm -hmm. goes with the database. When you look at the, people can go and look online, analysis and a record of big, biggest security breaches, you can see that lots of them are related to the database. And 
there's one big search engine, full text search engine, that is especially prominent and which is notorious for people setting it up, uh, not protecting it properly. And then uh, this all happens on a subnetwork. And after a couple of years, this subnetwork goes open and all of a sudden your unprotected database is actually open to the whole world. So actually what we came up with is something we are branding as secure by default, which means that securing a cluster is integral part of the setup process. And actually the moment you complete setting up a cluster, it's already protected. You could also say that security is interesting because in every other single area, you would like to be inventive. You want to be inventive. With security, you want to be conservative. You don't want to come up with new things. You don't want to write your own hashing algorithm. No, this is hard. Uh, I always come to the fact that there is formally verified implementation of cryptographic primitives in Firefox, if I remember correctly. And there's something very interesting. They used F-star programming language for formally proving HTTPS and cryptographic primitives. And actually, while proving, they discovered that there, there are omissions in the specification of the protocol. Security goes up to that level. So you could end up with a correct implementation, but the protocol itself contains, uh, contains traps. But when you look at it, you also have various components. Security for me is socio-technical concepts. So you have technical aspects and then you have like social engineering and uh, training people. So, you know, if, if you have any kind of system that you set up and then you as average person or maybe even junior or entry-level developer need to go and read like 40, 50 pages manual, this will take some time. Maybe you will postpone it or you will make mistakes or you will wait for a senior colleague to come and help you. And this represents equally sinister moment as any kind of technical omission. Because security is a chain and you're hanging off that chain and any of these links, if they are weak, you will fall down. So from the perspective of building something like database, it would be closest to building an operating system. It's so close to the hardware, you cannot, you don't want to rely on garbage collection, you do your own memory allocation, memory reallocation management. You're doing the really hardcore stuff. I usually say, okay, this is real programming. It's not line of business. It's actual real programming, like young engineers. That's fighting talk. That's fighting talk. <laughs> yeah. So it's very low level and there are lots of things that can go wrong. And you know what's also interesting? With uh, business applications, you write them. If you have a bug, you're pretty much sure you, you created the bug. With system level software like a database, what can happen is that you actually run into various problems, into operating system bugs, into, I don't know, Linux core problems. Then you go and report that. So it's really, really hard. Not to mention concurrency, which is probably the hardest problem of modern era, unfortunately, not all people are aware enough of how hard it is and it's challenging. This is really interesting to me. I don't think I'd ever really considered the complexity of building a database, but you have me sold on the idea that this is way more work than I would want to do myself. And I love the idea that you've built, uh, your company, you and your team have built 
RavenDB to be secure by default. Now, this phrase is a phrase that we're hearing a lot. Um, so those at home who are listening, just as a refresher, remember that President Biden out of the US has been talking about secure by design and default um, through all of the new guidance that's coming out through the US. And that's been echoed globally. Um, so there's this big push for us to not try and make security something we turn on, but something that is just there. And in fact, to make it less secure, we have to take conscious steps to undo things, which we obviously don't want to be doing. So let's talk about this in your context in a database. What kind of things do you have to lock down and configure to make a database secure by default? So actually, after you finish setting up a RavenDB cluster, the best thing you can do to in order to secure it is not to touch a thing. Because mm-hmm. we, tend to, we turn things around. You can set up RavenDB to be unsecured database, but in order to do so, this needs to be a conscious decision. So you need to go and descend into configuration JSON file, mm-hmm. and you need to set up a couple of keys and values, and then you are exposing your database to be unsecure. But even then, if you don't go with additional keys, you have... For example, if I run a RavenDB unsecure on my machine, then I will have it, of course, unsecured, but this instance will still reject any connection attempts which are not coming from the loopback device. So you, have, you actually have two layers of being unsecured. You, you have being unprotected, and then being unprotected and willing to accept connection attempts which are coming from outside. Amazing. So, so this is we're looking at both here, the access level and, and what you can do in your local machine and your local environment, but also that network connectivity level of what can interact and what trust you have with other uh, calling parties. So correct. it's quite a, then, a layered thing. And then also, if you want people to use your security measurements or your security protocols, you need to make it affordable or approachable. So what we are using, I already told uh, our, our idea is that you should be using something that's proven. For example, we started, and I'm always joking that all good developers are a bit lazy, so they would like to use something mm-hmm. that's already there. So RavenDB is using HTTP as a communication protocol, no proprietary communication protocol, and we are using X509 as a means of authentication and partial authorization. Now, this means that you need to create a new certificate, and this is still not widespread enough. So what we are using, we are offering you, okay, you can bring your own certificate if you want, but if you don't want, we will, on your behalf, register and create one with Let's Encrypt. And since, awesome. and since this is easy, people are incentivized to just click, wait for Let's Encrypt to generate a certificate, and then you go and use it. So again, if you make things easy to use, people will not avoid it. This is also part of the overall uh, like security design, if I may use that word. I love this. There's lots of lessons that our audience can pick out here. And I'm just going to reflect a few of them because I think they're really great. So it, whether you're building a data store or a front-end application, those pathways we create um, through our applications, through the user experience, the easier they are to follow, the more likely we are to follow them because we avoid friction. As engineers, we're fundamentally lazy and most of us are very proud of that. That's literally why we do our job to make our life easier. So if you make security, the pathway for security or secure behavior 
as easy as that. So the an easy friction-free pathway, you're going to get people to follow that more time than uh, normal. And by providing things like certificates, easily using things like Let's Encrypt, which is widely available, very well documented, but well understood, again, is taking away those barriers. So there are opportunities, whatever we're building here, uh, to create those pathways through that are secure by default, that are friction-free, and that are using things that can be trusted so that you're not having to do them yourself. These are really great lessons for all of us to remember, I think. I think you summed it up perfectly. <laughs> so I've got a question and you can totally tell me, no, I don't want to answer it. But people ask me this a lot and I have feelings and opinions, but can we talk a little bit about encryption in databases? Is that all right? Can we do that? Absolutely. All right. It's so, only that I'm not sure. I'm not a security expert, so I'm not that's sure if okay. I know You're a database expert and you're a maths nerd, so I respect that. And maths I'm also an engineer, you... which means that I'm not afraid to say that I don't know something. <laughs> Perfect. We're going to be just fine. All right. So let's jam on this. So one of the things that folks get told, hey, you need to encrypt your data in your database. Now, sometimes they mean encrypt the whole thing. So it is encrypted at rest, the whole database at a big blob. And sometimes they will go to the level of granularity of encrypting the records within the database. So in your experience as an engineer in the database world, what are the headaches with this? What are the things that are misunderstood or go wrong from your side of things? So again, when we step, when we take one step back, you have encryption in transit and you have encryption at rest. Both mm -hmm. are equally important. Again, chain and links and a chain is solid as the weakest link. Actually, challenge with encrypted databases in RaymondDB, we are doing encryption. So when we are talking about low-level organization things, in file system, you have one huge file. And within this file, RaymondDB is keeping everything. So you can mm -hmm. store uh, JSON documents, binary attachments, etc., etc. Now, uh, encryption approach is relying on the operating system encryption infrastructure and whole file is encrypted. Mm -hmm. Probably the biggest, not the biggest, but uh, something which is significant is that if you have an encrypted database, inevitably you will allocate additional memory. So your database engine will allocate additional memory. And also what is interesting is that, of course, it will take slightly longer for your data to be stored and then read and encryption. Good encryption is like every good security. It's providing you security, but it's not preventing you in doing what you do. So from your, from your perspective as a developer, as someone who is building solutions, you want encryption to be completely transparent, to be completely built in. Again, you don't want to notice it. Absolutely. What we are also doing, even so you have a choice when you create a new database in Raven, do you want it to be encrypted or not? But what we are thinking further on, your backups will always be encrypted. Mm -hmm. Because you have a database and you will have backups and the backup is actual copy of a database. So again, your data is, is as secure as the most exposed copy of it. And you know, backups is something that we are not thinking enough about, I think. Starting with mm -hmm. companies who are doing backups but not attempting re restoring them only to discover when it's critical that actually they, they are unable to restore any of the backups for whatever reasons. And then when it comes to the databases, 
how you will perform backups, frequency, will it be binary or logical ones, snapshot, incremental, etc. How you store them, where do you keep them, how you manage them, who ha has access to them, etc. Et so it's a non-trivial problem. And what I think is most important for people not to drive on, as I call it, on autopilot. So you, mm. you should be conscious about every single step in the operational procedures and everything you're doing with any part of the system, including your database. Yeah, th this is good and lots for us to consider. So if you are in this space and you're looking at database encryption, um, there's some wise words here about remembering the performance hit, remembering the speed, but also the added benefit of that then being encrypted in your backups. I think there's probably a lot of space just to go nerdy in that you know, the whole encryption space on its own. But what I'm keen to, to do for our last few minutes together is if you were to give our audience at home some advice on how to get the most out of whatever database technology they're using or how to really judge, is this the right technology for me? What would you advise them to be looking for? There, there's a philosophy called polyglot programming, which says, okay, you are allowed, it's not a sin to mix several languages according to your needs. So, for example, if you're building artificial intelligence service or microservice, you may end up likely using something like Python. Uh, for something else, you may use Java or C Sharp. And same goes with your data persistence. Now, if you remember, there's something called CQRS where you are splitting your read side and the write side. Usually in modern applications, you have disparity between reads and writes, so you store something once in a database and you read them dozens of times, probably per each write, or with some other applications like IoT, you're much more writing than reading. So you should be pragmatic. When I was leading teams, uh, I didn't allow myself to run into HIPAA patient. HIPAA is short for highest-paid person opinion. So I was always trying to first make decisions, defend them in front of myself, and then to come up to my team and say, okay, I'm proposing this. And here are the reasons for, and here are the reasons again, and let's go and debate, and let's pick up something which is a good compromise. So I think being pragmatic, you may read the books, you may read how Google is doing it, but you're not Google. Of course, if you read about, I don't know, MapReduce and Hadoop, and you have such amount of data, go ahead and use it. It's a proven solution, but not it's technical marriage between the developers and the technologies and the frameworks. Less things you use, the better you will be. It will be easier to maintain. Uh, there will be less potential for any kind of security breaches. You can recall something like Alpine distribution of Linux, where they intentionally narrow down the exposable surface because you can say, okay, for every, I don't know, 10,000 lines of code or 100,000 lines of code, I have one bug. So literally, if you make surface smaller, you will eliminate lots of lots of potential integration, bugs, breaches, etc., etc. So I think making conscious decisions is very important and being pragmatic. Look, I'm, this is a wonderful place for us to pause that. All of that was, there's so many gems that I'm going to pull out and, and share as ever, for quotes for everyone. So thank you so much. Um, I think the one that's going to stick with me and I, for those who can't see me right now is having a little giggle in the background. I think everyone should identify their hippo. 
So if you haven't yet, maybe the big first call to action is what are your personal opinions that could have affected your decisions and name your hippo. Uh, maybe you could, like we talk to ducks when we're solving problems, we can name our hippos when it comes to uh, making decisions and turn all of the, those decisions we're making in our software, whether it is from the database layer or all the way up through the stack, or whether it's from security or just performance, making sure that we're making conscious decisions all the way through. That's wonderful advice. If we were to follow up with you and we wanted to know more about you and perhaps have a play around with RavenDB, where would we go? RavenDB.net. Uh, and I think lots of information is there. I'm active on GitHub discussions of RavenDB, which is open source project. So you can find me there. And yeah. Amazing. Um, and that's a good excuse for us to all go and remember that GitHub discussions is a thing because I think most of us forget because we're all distracted by the cesspool that is LinkedIn. So wonderful. We will see you there. Um, thank you so much for coming on and being a guest today. It was a really, really nice conversation. So thank you. Awesome. Okay, everyone, you know the drill. Um, we're a tiny podcast. We're not one of those giant monsters. So every can subscribe helps. If you have a comment, please pop it in. Send us an email. You know where to find us. And if you have a guest you would like to recommend or a technology you would like to have us discussing on the show, please send in your suggestions. We love to hear from you. Okay, we will see you again really soon.